Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here in our 29th year together. Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning where you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. Of course, you may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download podcasts of the last several years of Money Talk. You may also go to the free app SoundCloud and download broadcasts without the commercial messages. And this Thursday, after the news at 6, we will rebroadcast today's show. It's always a great idea to call or text at the beginning of the hour for a couple of reasons. One, uh, that will uh, will ensure you that I will have the opportunity to do my best to answer your question. And secondly, also avoids the hated and much maligned bloviation that I have to do if we don't have any texts or calls. So let's get started. I have no calls or texts today. Oh, I always say this because it's my policy. If you call, I take calls first. If you text today, then I take today's text. If I have any leftover texts, which I do not today, then I take those. 512-836-0590. I also don't talk about this very frequently, but I write a monthly letter. And the portion of it that's called financial and investment planning is posted on the KLBJ website. I have been writing it this past week, and we'll be putting that out this coming week, and that part will be in uh, available to you at the KLBJ website. The, one of the things I talk about that I think is particularly relevant and timely has to do with what's going on with interest rates today. Uh, you can get a remarkable return for short-term treasuries or even CDs. I was looking, reading in today's Barron's, I think it was, or the Wall Street Journal, that through yesterday, the one-year treasury notes price yield an amazing 5.339%, while the 10-year treasury is at 3.837%. I see I have a call coming in, so I'll interrupt myself and we'll go do that. John, you're on the air. How may I help? Hey, Carl, long-time listener. appreciate you taking my call. You bet. So I have a question. Have you heard of the quantum financial system or the uh, effect of countries moving to BRICS uh, affecting the economy with us? So I have not. What I, the BRIC countries were, that goes back several years. It seems like that was Brazil, Russia, India, and China. That's what BRICS meant back then. Is that what you're talking about? And it's backed by gold, yes. Oh, oh. So you're talking about some other form of tradable uh, currency rather than the dollar or yen or euros or something like that? Correct. Yeah. Uh, I would tell you... Uh, and, and you may be aware of this, uh, that on the, on, on the gold side, uh, central banks around the country have been adding to their, uh, to their gold positions, and gold's had uh, a, a decent run over the last 12 months. But the world reserve currency is, frankly, still the dollar. 
and right. to have some other kind of currency, it has to be it has to float. In other words, the reason that the, the Chinese yuan won't be a, a, a world reserve currency is simply because the government controls the value of it because they want to stay competitive on an export basis, whereas the value of the dollar and the value of gold, and for that matter, the yen and sterling and the euro, are a function of supply and demand. So there's certainly countries which would like to not transact business in dollars. And and if it's a country-to-country thing, I'll say if it's the uh, Chinese, uh, I won't say the Chinese and the Indians because they hate each other, but uh, based on their recent and long-term behavior. But let's say it's the Brazilians and the uh, Chinese. Okay, so the Brazilians are huge producers of agricultural products and the Chinese are huge consumers. If they choose to use some other form of transaction, some other whether it's digital or commodity or barter-based, that's certainly not. I mean, let's let's think about it. that. Goes back thousands of years. That's in that's in no way surprising, but it doesn't work when you start talking about central banks because they've got to have reserves and they have to put it someplace and they can put a lot of it in gold but they can't put all of it in gold because it has to be tradable and has to be liquid and gold is less so that way so you know i'm skeptical that there's going to be anything in the foreseeable future that's going to replace the dollar now if given our mounting amount of debt certainly uh, you would think that would put pressure uh, on the value of the dollar, but when compared to the alternatives, uh, it's just not in the cards as I see it right now, frankly. I appreciate that answer, and it was very well explained. Okay, good. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here is a text. I wonder if China is involved with Russia helping them cause our military to be depleted. Then when China attacks Taiwan with a weak U.S. Well, that's not an investment question. Uh, So I'm just going to give you my opinion. Uh, It's not a financial planning question. I'm probably, I would hope, more informed on those than I am on China. Actually, based on on my reading, uh, what's going on in geopolitics, the Chinese are, are frankly concerned about their relationship with Russia uh, because of the reputational risk given what how Russia is behaving and what uh, how Russia is being held in low regard in many other parts of the world. Uh, the Chinese uh, are, while they state they're close friends of the Russians, it looks like Putin's weaker and weaker versus Xi, and it's unlikely that the Chinese are interested in being closely aligned with the current situation now. What about Taiwan? That's a really interesting question. Uh, the experts I listen to suggest that the Chinese would much prefer uh, a peaceful acquisition of Taiwan. The Taiwanese don't want that. What you're seeing with the uh, Australians buying European and American submarines, I mean, it's all very interesting. Uh, The Chinese, would they benefit from a weaker U.S. military? Of course they would. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Zero five ninety. Well, let's see. I'm getting. It's interesting. I'm getting political text today. But luckily, 
Anita is on the line. Anita, you're on the air. How may I help? Carl, I have a question about paying taxes on Social Security. Uh Uh-huh. So my husband's still working, although he's going to be going part-time, and I don't know for how much longer the rest of the year. He's been taking his – he's 70, so he's been taking his Social Security for about, uh, let's just say, four or five months. Uh Uh-huh. But how do you decide whether or not – you have to have extra withholding. A couple of weeks ago on your show, yeah. um, something was covered similar right. to this. Right. Um, right. You, you have uh, that was a, we had a, a long, detailed answer about that. The thrust of it is that uh, when it comes to paying your taxes, you have to pay in the uh, at least the amount you paid the the uh, previous year, and if you anticipate. You know, a large increase. Or, or, you know, that here it is. I got it in my file, so I'm going to read it to you. This comes from our listener Ken, who has who's done a terrific job. You can hear me with the paper here, Carl. If one is paid in through withholding and quarterly payments, 90% or more of the current year tax, then there's no penalty. It also applies if you've paid in 100% of the prior year's tax. Then there's no penalty. It also applies if after all payments, one still owes less than $1,000. So those are all what they call safe harbors, Anita. So if your husband's working and having, he's going to be paying FICA tax, he's going to be having tax withheld, and his Social Security is the same as it was the previous year. I mean, granted, everybody's Social Security went up nicely, 8.7%. But if he... If he has pay, if you all pay as much as you did last year, then you'll have no penalty whatsoever. So does that um, take into account that uh, he doesn't have as much withheld um, from his paycheck in that we get a refund? You see what I'm saying? We get a um, refund because your tax liability was less than what you withheld. You withheld more than your tax liability. So... I'm just guessing. I mean, I'm not a, a CPA either, but right. I'm just guessing that if he, if you got a refund last year, it's because you're with you withheld more than your tax liability. So the odds are that that you would not have a penalty this year because the way you describe it, he's not going to work full time all year. So you're probably going to have even lower tax liability this year than you did last year. Would be my best guess, Anita. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because we did pay in last time. We right. We done, you know, because with you also have to add in your, um, say, your capital gains and right. um, dividends and all of right. that. Of so yeah. it's kind of hard for me to read what they have on the website yeah. to know whether or not we're supposed to be withholding all the way through the year. Well, your capital gains are not predictable, so you can't be withholding what you don't know what your liability is going to be. Okay, I see. That, that comes yeah. on the form 1099 that you don't get till after the first of the year. That's true. Okay. Okay. All okay. right. Thanks a lot. You bet. Thanks for calling. It's time for me to take a break. It's a great time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. 
When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. Here's the text. Carl, I wrongly decided to time the market and went to a money market. I missed the stock market run. How do I get back in at these stock levels? Well, first of all, I'm sorry that happened. Uh, and welcome to the human race. Uh, there, as you know, based on your question, that timing the stock market is a very, very bad idea. And as a consequence, you end up buying after prices have appreciated and frequently selling when prices have declined. And I'm going to get into that. By My rule is to take callers first, and I've got a call, so I'll come back to that text because I think it pertains to so many of us. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Ron, you're on the air. How may I help? Hi, Carl. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. You bet. <clears throat> I've got a question that's kind of a follow-up to an earlier one about income taxes. Yes. Uh, our situation is both my wife and I are retired, and we have we have had very similar income for the last, oh, almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. But last year we sold a mineral some mineral interest properties, Yeah. and our income more than doubled. Right. So we paid the taxes on that. We got an accountant and paid the taxes for last year. Good. But this year, our income is going to go back to the what, the way it was before last year. Right. So, so my question is, do we have to pay estimated taxes that are at least as much as last year or, right. or not? So we had this question come up in the past because it really is a problem for people that have a large one-time uh, income event. And I think you should go back to your accountant because I don't remember the number of the form, but there's actually an IRS form because this happens with frequency when someone sells a piece of property or has a situation like you do, and you can actually file this form with the revenue service and then not have to, it's my understanding, and then not have to pay as much as you did last year on what is significantly less income. But if you don't, if you do nothing, I think that's how you get into a bind. I think if you do nothing, you could be have, you could have a penalty. But if you take this form and, and fill it out with the help of a, of a CPA, I think that's the way to get around it. So I'd, I'd start on Monday, I'd call that person that helped you with your taxes and ask her or him uh, for help, because I think there is help for you. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate it. I'll, I'll do just that. Thank okay. You very much. You're very welcome. That's one of the great things about this broadcast is that we all learn stuff, right? You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Chris, you're on the air. How may I help? Hello, Carl. Hi. You had an interesting question about China and Russia. I had yeah. heard that one before. <laughs> and then it segued into the issue of Social Security, which I thought got rather arcane. Yes. That's good. <laughs> so I've got a couple of stump the band questions. Uh-oh, we're in trouble here. now. Stump the jump. Okay. Okay. Recently, I was in the panhandle, and I was talking to a hospital administrator, and he had worked formerly at a uh, rehab hospital. Yeah. Now, that place closed, and several places in that town had closed, rehab hospitals. Right. I spoke with him at his new facility, and uh, it's different, but 
I asked him why the rehab hospitals were closing, yeah. and he said it all had to do with money. Yeah. And I said, is this the uh, government and the insurers squeezing things? And he more or less said yes. Uh, <clears throat> he said that the government wants – well, at first he said that Medicare is, is going to disappear sooner or later. The uh, entitlement is just too big. It dwarfs Social Security. And I had already known that. He said that the government, and I don't, I'm not sure who in the government he means, but that they want the private insurers more or less to go away and that everybody be written onto Medicare Advantage. And he thinks that this will be the future of health care in this country. Since health care is such a large part of the economy in the United States, and it right. has so many moving parts, right? something like this, what would you think would be yeah. the macro effect, yeah. the long-term effect sure. on the economy? Sure. So first of all, you, you've identified that we, we call them entitlements, and the, the two largest, my understanding, are Social Security and Medicare. And... Uh, You've also identified what we all know, which is that they take bigger and bigger pieces of the federal budget. And as a consequence, the portion, you know, people run for office and say, I'm going to get rid, I love this phrase, waste, fraud, and abuse. But the fact is that when you take Social Security, Medicare, defense spending, and interest on the debt, there's not much left, and that's a slim, slim slice of the pie where there's a whole lot of discretion on the part of Congress to change, to change the expenditures. And you're also right that Medicare is, is growing rapidly in terms of expense. There simply is no appetite on the part of Congress or administrations to deal effectively with the medical liabilities that we experience and that are growing. In my experience, and I suspect yours as well, is that we don't, get, we don't solve problems. We frankly don't even begin to think about problems until they're right in front of us, and no matter whether we look right or left, we can't avoid it. We're simply not there now. You know, years and years ago, one of the problems that was interesting was we had too many military bases, but no congressperson was willing to stand up and say, it's okay, you can close Bergstrom. I'm, I represent Central Texas. Be my guest. Close Bergstrom. Nobody was going to do that. And eventually what happened was the Congress set up a, a committee and said, you go off and figure this and come back, and we're going to set a rule which is nobody gets to add or delete anything from what you are recommending. It's an up or down vote. And they got it because people could get behind that, and we solved the problem, and we reduced the number of military bases. That's why in Austin we have Bergstrom International Airport. We're going to have to have some kind of bipartisan, let's all, let's all you ladies and gentlemen go off and come back with something that we can vote up or down. But the system that we have will not persist. But we have a system also that pays for treatments. It doesn't pay for outcomes. That is a huge problem. I don't know how much you follow 
the what's going on at Dell Med, which is probably one of the only brand new medical schools started in the United States in the last decade. Their focus at Dell Med is not on treatments, it's on long-term consequences. So you get paid, a rehab hospital gets paid for doing rehab. They don't get paid for the consequences of the rehab. This is really complicated. And every time someone comes up with a plan, Here's what's, here are the groups that it affects. It affects the patients. It affects the providers. Those would be the people in the rehab hospital, doctors and nurses. It affects the hospitals. It, it affects the, 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 the insurance companies. And it affects the, the plaintiff's bar who want to sue doctors when they mess up. Getting all those people on the same side has proven to be impossible because every time there's a suggestion two or three of those groups can come together and say, we're not going to do that. So we have, we have no idea how this is going to end up. But to say that the government wants a single-payer system simply isn't true. There are pre- people in the government that want it. There are people outside the government that want a single-payer system. And you can, you, can, you can ask people what they want, and everybody agrees on the, on the benefits, but nobody agrees on how to fund it. So this is a problem that's not going to go away until it's right in front of our nose, and that's my view. Well, I think I feel better. Uh, <laughs> I feel worse. <laughs> I better go. I, I got some. I got some people calling. Okay, thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk. Holy moly! It's four thirty-three. Just take a break. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ five ninety AM and ninety nine point seven FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. My friend Patrick's in the there in the studio helping produce this broadcast today, and I had to tell him it's the first time I can remember in 29 years that I didn't get break for the news at the bottom of the hour. So if that was something you were waiting for, I'm sorry to delay that. Patrick said he thought you'd rather listen to me bloviate, and I'm glad to know that. You can call or text anytime, 512-836-0590, and listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com. Go there and download podcasts of previous broadcasts of Money Talk, or go to SoundCloud, the free app, and download previous broadcasts without the commercial breaks. And this Thursday, after the news is 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show, 512 512- Eight three six zero five ninety. I did. We had that call about a person who had a big bump in their income one time, and luckily I heard from Ken who said the man's income is going down in twenty twenty three from twenty twenty two. So if he timely pays in as much as ninety percent of what he will owe for twenty twenty three, there will be no penalty. The form I mentioned is Form twenty two ten, and it's filed. Form 2210 is filed with the tax return, not by itself. Good to know. It is normally used when there is a big income spike in the middle or the end of the calendar year. So with the formulas and all on the form, one can generally avoid an underpayment penalty. Thanks, Ken, as always, for your input. 512-836-0590. Quote, I wrongly decided to time the market and went to a money market. I missed the stock market run. How do I buy buy back? Well, I hope you learned your lesson. And 
I was at the Berkshire Hathaway meeting five years ago, and Warren Buffett did the same thing when he first started investing. He bought a stock. He was, he was in, I think he said, high school. It declined. When it got back to what he paid for it, he sold it, and then he showed the chart of the price, and it went up like 500% after that. Investing in the stock market is a long-term situation, just like real estate. You don't buy a piece of real estate and then discover that it went down 15% like the median price did in Austin in the last 12 months, and you sell it. You need to take the same attitude with your stock portfolio. Now, what the heck do you do? Of course, prices are elevated. And valuations, depending on how you look at it on a price-to-earnings basis on the S&P 500, at about 19 times, are, are not cheap. But I don't know how long this current rise is going to last, so yes, should you invest? The answer is yes. When's the best time to invest? Monday. But if you want to mitigate the short-term risk, then what you can do is pick a period of time. Uh, I would say six months. The odds, and that's all they are, I, can't, I haven't got tomorrow's newspaper delivered today. The odds are, if we're going to have a decline, that it might occur in the next six months. And so if that's the case, take the money you want to invest Take it into six pieces and invest on the same day, invest on the 15th or the closest business day to the 15th of August, September, etc. Because if prices decline, you'll buy more shares as they decline. If prices go up, you're going to feel a lot better because you're participating. And of course, your future purchases, you'll buy fewer shares. But over time, you'll buy more shares when prices are depressed and fewer shares when prices are elevated. And I think the real takeaway is that you won't do that again because you've learned that that just doesn't work. 512-836-0590. Here's another text. Carl, I heard somewhere that a beneficiary of a Roth IRA must take required minimum distributions. Is that correct? I don't think so. I know that they changed non-spousal beneficiaries to where you've got to take, uh, you have 10 years to take it out of an IRA. I, I, you hear hesitance in my voice because I don't know if, the, I can't remember, I've read so much stuff, I can't remember if what they've done is uh, put the 10-year rule in for the Roth IRA. It's, I know it's tax-free, uh, but maybe uh, those of you who know these things can give me a call or I'll see a text and let me know that. 512-836-0590. I really think that the focus is just non-taxable. Uh, whether you have to do it within the 10-year window is something I'm not sure of. I'll, and if I don't hear today, uh, I'll look into that this week. Thanks for your text. Here's another text. Your support guy, Ken, answered that the estimated tax issue exactly correctly covered both the safe harbor 90% of last year and 2210 because of uneven timing of income during the year. Great. Well, I'm glad to know that. I've got oh, no calls and no texts, and we have, what, another about 15 minutes. It's probably a good time for me to take a break and a good time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM 
Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon for another 14 minutes. You know the drill. Call or text 512-836-0590. Gary, you're on the air. How may I help? Yes, Carl, you were asking uh, about uh, the 10-year rule yes. for yes. money out of the IRAs. Yes. That change is due to the SECURE Act, and it depends on whether the person passed on or before December 31st, 2019, or on or after January 1st, 2020. If they uh. passed before, then you can still stretch it. If they pass afterwards, you have to take it out in 10 years, and I'm pretty sure that applies even to Ross. Uh, but there's five ex- exceptions or exemptions. Yeah. And you, if you're one of these five groups, you can still stretch it. If you're a spouse, if you are less than 10 years younger than the deceased, if you're a minor child of the deceased, but once the child is no longer a minor, they have 10 years. Okay. And if you're disabled under either Social Security or whatever those rules are for like long-term care, like not able to do two of the activities, right. two of the seven activities of daily living, then you can still stretch it for life. Okay. Uh, but if they have questions, I'd call the custodian and ask them. Yeah. They should be able to yeah. look it up and, and tell you. Oh, that's great. Well, as always, you've helped me out a lot. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk, where we have a lot of really well-informed listeners, so that if you if you are a non-spousal beneficiary and you don't fit one of those special cases, and the, the previous owner is, is decide, has de- deceased in the recent past, then you do are subject to the 10-year rule on the Roth beneficiary, beneficiary IRA. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Jerry, you're on the line. May how do may I help? Yes, hi Carl. Hi. Great show. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to ask you if uh, it is better. I have an IRA uh, traditional, and mm-hmm. I have a broker account. Yeah. And I'd like to me leave the mo- money to the grandchildren, right? As opposed to leaving them to the parents to give to the grandchildren. I don't know which one is the wiser. It's going to wind up with the grandchildren no matter what I do. Right. So maybe you can help yeah. me decide. Yeah. Well, the one of the, the probably the, one of the most attractive aspects of the tax code is that when we die, assets that we hold not in retirement or tax deferred accounts, but assets that we hold as for your example in brokerage account the cost basis, what we paid for it, disappears, and the beneficiary gets the cost basis at the time of our death. Now, I know that that may vary per state. So let's say if I had a joint account with my spouse and I died, she gets a step up on half of it. But And I know in Texas there's a full step up. So if you want to leave the most money to your grandchildren and you have them as beneficiaries in your in your will and you have a brokerage account and you have a $500,000 market value with a $250,000 cost basis and you die and they get it, their cost basis is now 500000 They can hold those securities or they can sell them and, and in my example, pay no taxes. Whereas in your IRA account, uh, as we've been discussing momentarily, 
if, if they're a non-spousal beneficiary, which in your case they would be, they're going to have to take the money out over 10 years, whether they want it or not. And of course, they're going to pay income tax on it. So if you want to leave them the maximum amount, then you would be better off over your life, if you need the money, over your lifetime, draining the IRA account and letting the other, as you called it, brokerage account to grow. Just like if you had your home and you pass away, they get a step up in basis on that too. So holding assets outside of tax-deferred accounts is, a, is, in my view, the most efficient way to pass on the maximum amount of assets to your beneficiaries. Okay, so uh, one in one direction and one in the other direction. Yeah, yes, sir. That's what I would do, yes. Okay, thank you. You, You're very welcome. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Terry, you're on the air. How may I help? Hi, Carl. Hi. Carl, I've got a fairly specific question for you Okay. that I've thought about many times, and I finally thought, man, I'm going to ask you. So (laughs) Okay. I've... And you might have heard this before and thought this, but I've owned Berkshire Hathaway for probably 15, 20 years. Yeah. And every couple of years, I think, man, Warren's getting a little bit older, Charlie Munger. I mean, the guys are coming up on 100 soon. Yes. And it scares me a little bit when there is going to be a transition as to what in the heck to expect and whether or not it's going to still perform as well as it did. I just wanted to get your general yeah. thought on that and how yeah. I should evaluate yeah. that. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I mentioned earlier in today's broadcast, five years ago, I went to the, uh, I went to the uh, annual meeting, which, of course, if you, if you love investing, that's kind of like you know uh, going to the source. I recommend it for everybody. It's a lot of fun. Um, there, I think you have to, to take the view that the kind of analysis that Charlie and Warren has done over the years is also transferable in terms of their assessment of talent. They've been assessing managerial talent in the companies that they've purchased and owned over the years. And one would have to believe that they use that same skill in looking at their successors I believe I've read there are two of them, and uh, that would give me some level of optimism. Now, I would tell you, and you didn't ask this, but I was in conversation the other day uh, talking about concentrated risks in portfolios. You know, if you had a portfolio uh, and you had NVIDIA in it, and it's up hundreds of percentage points, then it's a larger position. Should you let it run? Or should you pair it back? And of course, as as you know, as a longtime Berkshire Hathaway shareholder, they keep these companies. And when they're when they when they're private companies like they've owned Geico, it's been a huge benefit. But they're they're a shareholder of Apple, which is now has a three trillion dollar market value. So they've got a concentrated position. So while some people say owning Berkshire Hathaway is like owning a mutual fund, in some ways it is, because you have BNSF versus Geico versus Dairy Queen versus Nakona Boots versus Seize Candy versus Apple, but it's sure not diversified by weighting 
right? But you have confidence in the management, and you're going to let them do that, and Occidental Petroleum also. So my sense is I'd be optimistic. I think the skill set they've used to value businesses and value management is also the kind of skills they bring to their own successors. That's my view. Thank you a bunch, Carl. I really appreciate it. You bet. You're welcome. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Here's a text. I am nearing retirement and have a pension. Should I take a partial lump sum and invest it? I have no debt, and the lowered monthly payments will not hurt me at all. Okay, you're in a unique situation. A lot of times I tell people with this question, take the full pension benefit because you have eliminated all the risk, right? You've got a guaranteed monthly income until you die or depending on the choices you've taken if you're married, your, the second spouse passes away. But you're in a unique circumstance. You don't need all of the monthly guaranteed income. So then the question is, a little bit like the caller a while ago, what is it that I want to accomplish when I leave, when I shuffle off this mortal coil? If I want to leave something for somebody else, for a grandchildren, for my church or synagogue or mosque, for my alma mater, whatever the case is, that pension is going to go to zero eventually. Now, if you don't need all the income, then you could take part of the lump sum and invest it. And then when you pass away, that beneficiary is either A, going to get a step up in basis if it's a grandchild or some other human being, or you're going to give it to a cause in which you have a lot of confidence and you have a commitment to it. So unlike many times on this broadcast where I've said to people, take the pension benefit, then you can take more risk in your investments because you have that fundamental base to your retirement. You don't need all of it, so I'd take the partial in your case, I'd invest it. You can invest it in quality stocks. You can use an index fund, whatever it is that you want to do, and just leave it alone. And then upon your demise, there's going to be some greater benefit for some either institution for which you have great confidence and even passion, or for some human beings who you want to help out. That's a terrific question. If you're listening to Money Talk on news, I'm just reading a text while I'm trying to talk. I'm not even going to, we got two minutes, so I'm not even going to give the numbers. Here's an interesting one. Okay, looking at 10-year U.S. Treasury, there'd be notes next week to purchase. Do you recommend an ETF or actually buy the bond and hold to maturity? Oh, well, if you buy the note, you got, you have absolute certainty of the future value, right? Uh, and you know exactly what the income's going to be. Uh, and you can just put away and forget it. Uh, and rates are going to fluctuate over that 10 years, and the note's going to go up and down in value. But as it gets closer and closer to maturity, you have less and less volatility. Uh, you're locking in right now about 3.8%. That's above the long-term rate of inflation. Right now, it's not above inflation. So if you have a future liability that you know is going to occur in 10 years, buy the note and forget about it. If, on the other hand, you like liquidity, uh, and then you might want to consider the ETF. It's a different structure in the sense that you have daily liquidity. You're going to see the fluctuation in price. 
if you think, well, I may not hold it the full time, and I like the idea that if interest rates decline from here, I have the ability to sell it easily, uh, probably with no transaction costs, depending upon your custodian, and then you would lean towards the ETF. So I think what you have to do, like you do in most investments, is I would say, frankly, in all investments, is you have to determine what is it you're trying to accomplish, how important is liquidity, uh, and because if you're buying the note, and unless you're buying a big number, well over $100,000, you're going to pay a haircut and a, to get a bid if you sell it before maturity. Whereas in the ETF, you're going to get the absolute value of the underlying portfolio on that given day. So that's how I would think about that if I were in your shoes. It looks like I have another text. Let's just see if it's easy to answer. Can you give your adult children a money gift and write it off on your income tax? That is an easy one. The answer is sadly no. Go ahead and give them the money, but there's no tax benefit whatsoever. You can give them up to $17,000 per child and not have to worry about a gift tax liability. We're at the end of the broadcast. I want to thank Patrick for letting me bloviate through the normal news time. Thank you for listening. And remember, next Saturday after the news at 4, be sure and tune in to Money Talk.